turn to the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter. It's on page 555 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. We are in this second Sunday of Advent taking a look very deeply at one of the passages of the image of this prophesied Christ. As Isaiah is writing this, it is a bad time. They are being surrounded by the Assyrians who have already destroyed the ten northern tribes. People are being uh, totally living for themselves and consumption of goods. And they're looking for a deliverer and God promises this. Together as God's people, let's read verses 6 and 7 together out loud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's word. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually. And there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time onward and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The sins of reading of God's holy word, heaven and earth will pass away, but that never will. And is it not true this brings out the best in people and the worst in people? Uh, This time of the year as they're going around... It's kind of uh, like the little girl that was being taught the Lord's Prayer. Probably prophetically she prayed, Lord, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. But no, I'm going to be honest. Don't you think uh, women get a little more stressed out than guys this time of the year? And that brings up the question, why are men generally the happier simple of the genders uh, that are there? Someone uh, gave me some reasons. Uh, one, first of all, it's... Men are happier because wedding plans take care of themselves. I don't know if you know that or not. That is true for guys. Men are happier because wrinkles add character. It's a great attribute to have. Men are happier because phone conversations are over in 30 seconds flat. Totally downloads the whole day. Uh, Same hairstyle lasts for years, maybe decades. One wallet, one pair of shoes, one color, all seasons. And you're covered. But as I said, men are happier because you can do Christmas shopping for 25 relatives on December 24th in 45 minutes. And it's all taken care of. This time of the year is as so much joy watching uh, those little children just screaming out the uh, joy of Christmas. It reminds us that also, though, this is a very sad time of the year for a lot of people. This is a very difficult time for people that have lost loved ones and there's an empty chair this year sitting in the house either by death or divorce. And people that feel pressured to have the perfect Christmas experience are so so far away from the story of God invading this planet and this child in Bethlehem. And as we take a look at for the next three weeks at Isaiah and into Christmas Eve that we will find out this image of Christ, these little like a beautiful diamond, different facets. And as he prophesies, he's prophesying in about the year 700 B.C. And there was actually quite a few parallels as today. The ten northern tribes, after the death of Solomon 250 years earlier, roughly 950 B.C., the kingdom divided between Israel to the north, ten tribes, and Judah and Benjamin in the south, a civil war. And God warned them through the prophets, do not abandon this God who loves you. Do not turn your back on me and live for yourself. 
because I love you. And I will discipline you because I do love you. Assyria came in in the year 722, this powerful, violent, technologically advanced civilization, and destroyed the ten northern tribes and took them away. And now only Judah is left. It would be very similar to what if all of the other 49 states outside of California had been occupied by a very violent Taliban-style regime or something worse. What if California alone was left? And actually, the numbers are very close. Do you realize one out of eight Americans is a Californian? Someone told me California is 38 million people surrounded by reality. I don't know if that's true or not. But what if everybody else had fallen and we were here and they're saying, God, deliver us. And God said, I will deliver you through this prophet. And he thunders this word of hope in the middle of terrible times. They're trying to get a coalition together just like we are in Iraq. And the other nations won't cooperate. And he says, look to me alone. Will God do something miraculous? Will he split the sky and part the Red Sea? Will he send another angel? And he sent one angel in the book of Kings and destroys 180,000 Assyrians. Will God send another angel? Or maybe a friendly nation that's for the values of the people of God. And Isaiah says, no. God is going, I bring you great news. There's the birth of a little baby. Can you hear it? And this child will be like no child has ever been. He will be the answer and he will bring about the kingdom you have longed for. And two of those attributes that we look at this morning, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. There is wonder in the name of Yeshua. As Margaret said, names are very important in the scripture. And when he called him Yeshua, Jesus, it means God saves. And there is wonder in that name. And there is wisdom in that name. He will be the counselor, the one to guide and lead and show us how to live through this incredibly tough and complicated and confusing life. We live a clear voice. And Bella, with the mission that we have, and as we get ready to start to crank it up a level and working with other churches and ministries to help make Los Angeles the greatest city for Christ in America, we need this counselor to guide and lead us. Amen? You got your Bible. Let's turn back and take a look at this beginning of this chapter in Isaiah 9, page 900, or excuse me, 555 in your pew Bible there. Isaiah, we don't know a lot about his personal life. He li- it's one of the more important, uh, it's dangerous to say that, books in the Bible, but it has this great jump in theology and understanding of God. But he writes here, and at this time, he makes this other statement. Remember, the, there's a gap between the rich and the poor, and things are unjust in this decadent, isolated little country. Let's read verses 1 through uh, 5 together out loud here. But there will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as people exalt when dividing plunder, for the yoke of their burden, and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors, 
and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Now what Isaiah is talking about is this land and particularly of northern Israel, Galilee. And again, Galilee itself has an important name. It means the circle. And why the circle? Well, the trade routes kind of circled around there. But the circle of what was going on in Galilee. God is really into names, and so are you. Because when you name something, you've identified it. And when you identify it, you give a certain amount of power to that. Breshit Barach, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he creates light, and he called the light day. And he called the darkness night. And he called the dry, dry ground land. The first thing that he has Adam do when he's sharing and participating with this little creator is to name the animals. So he's making labels. There's power in this. Abraham. When someone encounters God, they change their name, their very identity. Abraham, which means exalted, becomes Abraham, exalted of many nations. Sarai becomes Sarah. Yaakov, Jacob. It means the ripoff artist. Wouldn't you like that name? Hi, it's little thief boy. Welcome. And he'll start to live and fulfill that. Moshe. Moses means to be drawn out of the water. Because remember, he was drawn out of that and God would be drawing his people out. In fact, Moses. Remember, he's walking along. He sees the burning bush. And God says, freeze and lose the shoes. Why the shoes? Because shoes were a sign of wealth. And only a slave went around barefoot. And he falls down and... Moses says, who are you? And he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your fathers, and I have heard my people's cries. And then Moses does a really gutsy thing. He goes, yeah, that's a good title. Um, What's your name? Why is he asking this name? Because of this intimacy, and God answers, Yeh-yeh, or Yahweh, I am who I am, or I am being who I am being. And that covenant name now means, every time you see Lord in capital letters in the Bible, it means, you know me by special covenant. Like my children are known by their names to others, Vanessa, Paul, and Rachel. I know them as my tax deductions. And, or I'll have little nicknames for them. And notice these little kids, you should have heard their parents calling them their little nicknames. Um, I don't know what troublemaker means, but... Uh, But when a kid, you call a kid by their nickname and you're not a parent, they'll go, you can't use that name. Why? Because you're not part, you're not my dad, you're not my mom. There's a specialness in that. In fact, it says in the book of Revelation, we'll be given a new name, which no man knows but God. Meaning the identity of who you really are trying to find out who you are and it's so confusing. You're not what the crowd tells you. You're not what your parents tell you. God alone. And when we stand before him, your whole life will make sense when he gives this name. And you'll say, of course. And so naming is very important. And Galilee was on the very frontier. So they started to flirt around with foreign gods first. Because they were up north. You think it's tough to have a church here in America. You should try to have a church in Mecca. You think it's tough to have a church here on the west side. You should try to have a church in the valley. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, uh, I live over there too. But at different parts of the city, actually, it's tougher to do that. And what he is sometimes out of the very frontier regions, and God humbled the Galileans because they had first bent the knee to foreign gods. And here's the shocking, and they became, it's a really derogatory remark. They said to Jesus, aren't you a Galilean? 
That's like saying, aren't you a hick? Aren't you a hillbilly? It's a derogatory term. And out of Galilee, out of Galilee, I've always raised this light up. What if it was in, on the way to the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, the way of the Gentiles? If this was California and God raised up a great prophet, would she or he come from San Francisco? No. Would he come from Los Angeles? No. He would say, but you, O Barstow, <laughs> on the way to Vegas, out of you a great light has shined. And that's what he's saying here. And have you noticed that in your life, some of the most frontier areas, God speaks the most if you're listening? Sometimes those distant relatives or those friends you're not around anymore or those people you work with that you just kind of snub and they're not important, sometimes God speaks through them more than the others and raises up this light. And what he says is that and all categories are finally God's categories, biblical categories. We, I believe in psychology. I have an undergraduate degree in it. I thought I was going to become a counselor. I found out it really wasn't my gifted area. Though I can do it, I found out that counselors tend to have compassion. And, and people would share their heart, and I'd just go, bummer. Uh, they'd come in a second time. I'd go, you're still dealing with this? Come on, come on, come on. Uh, not my calling. But the, when you label a category... Are you a victim or are you a sinner? You, by the way, treat an illness. You can't repent of an illness. But you cannot treat a sin. You have to repent of it. And a lot of us now, everything is a syndrome. Everything is, it's not my fault, it's my genes, it's my environment, it's my syndrome. Well, you're right in the first half of the word. It's just a suffix you don't need there. It's not a syndrome, it is sin. And God sends this light to the Galileans and to all of us. And this light comes and is finally fulfilled. Isaiah, I think, is predicting the birth of Hezekiah in his mind. And Hezekiah fulfills it just a tiny bit, not to, but not totally. And the total fulfillment will come seven centuries later. Turn with, over to the book of Matthew real quick. In the fourth chapter. On page 785 in your pew Bible. And so Isaiah sees that... as this, talk about a great name. The Assyrian general and king that was coming is Tiglath-Pileser III. I mean, you imagine naming your kid Tiglath-Pileser Jr.? <laughs> but Tiglath-Pileser, I don't know if they called him Tiggy or what, is getting ready to invade. But he sees this great light. And Matthew then pulls this out. Look in verse 12. Let's read 12 through 17 together out loud. This is marvelous. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested... He withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. For those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. There's the total fulfillment. Hezekiah, yes, was used greatly of God, but it's this total the light that we celebrate with the candle up here, that the light that came into the world, the darkness can never put it out. And one of the facets is Isaiah gets this revelation of the Holy Spirit. He shall be called wonderful. 
That's a marvelous word. Do you know how much wonder there is in the world? We're so jaded. We're so stressed out and we've experienced everything and there's so much evil and people are so hopeless and we forget the wonder like these little kids up here just singing away. There is so much wonder. Someone told me in this glass, this one drop of water, if the molecules in this drop of water were sand, I could build a road a half mile wide, two feet deep from Los Angeles to New York. Just out of the molecules, if there was sand in this one drop of water. You have more neurological connections in your brain than photograph stars in the world. Most of you. And what's remarkable <laughs> is there's so much wonder in the world that is out there, but the biggest wonder, he will be wonderful. And for the next four weeks, pastors are going to try to communicate the uncommunicatable. The creator and the mystery of the triune God, God the Son, laid aside his glory and put on flesh. He became total, fully God and fully man. It would be as if Michelangelo became one of his statues. Or Beethoven became one of his fugues. And those of us who have known the Lord and walked with him closer, if there are any of you here, and praise the Lord, we have over 60 people from the Billy Graham crusade that have been assigned to us. And if you meet one of them, love them and help them grow in Christ. And as God called you uh, into this new relationship. But the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you remember special things. I uh, hesitate to use, but I ask uh, Monsita if I could. She doesn't uh, like to have attention drawn to herself. Monsita's parents, Rosemary Clooney and her father, Jose Ferrar, she had never seen before uh, one of the movies he had done. The greatest story ever told. And so we just went to see that. By the way, it's the longest story ever told. But uh, as we were sitting there and watching, a lot of the living actors were still there. And I was wondering, as Monsignor, on the way home, uh, her father, and by the way, he uh, played Herod. He, I think he's the best actor in it. But on the way home, asking, I said, what was that like? Because her father's long since died and gone to be with the Lord. And seeing him for the first time in this great work. And she said, I forgot his hands. What his hands were when we were little. He had big hands as well as this great voice and how he moved when he talked. That God put on flesh as one of these little children. And can't you see Jesus? Jesus, he was fully human, running around, not with a little halo, but a little yarmulke in the synagogue. Just like you and me, except without sin. Can you imagine raising a child with no rebellion? Do you know how hard that would be? It was so hard for my mother. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you call her up, she'll put a big check on that one real fast. But in his, as he grew up, but those little hands that would become carpenters, and then those hands that would touch lepers, heal them, call the dead back alive, feed thousands. And finally, those hands that would go to that cross and shed its blood and blow out of that tomb Easter morning and hug them again and say, I will be with you always. And I am coming back for you. You're going to recognize when you get before the Lord, those hands, that that particular situation, maybe when you were in school, nobody else knows, and you remember God helped. Or that time that you were almost hit and miraculously something intervened and God saved you. And you'll share with him, and for all eternity, laughing together and celebrating. Those hands, wonderful. And not just wonderful, but wonderful counselor. 
counselor. We all need somebody to help us, not just give us advice, but somebody that, first of all, that gives us unconditional acceptance. When you go to somebody who's not a counselor, they sometimes might be going, same problems. God never says, is it you again? Is it the same sin? Is it the same worries? Get away, get away. He never says that. He says, sit down, talk. And you can see Jesus with his strong eyes and his hands looking, saying, tell me your heart, even if you've told me this a thousand times before. And counselors help you hear what you really think versus the press release you give everybody. And when we get before the Lord in prayer, very often all the little games that we're positioning to others, we say, no, God, I guess you're right. I need to bend the knee. It's just my pride and my stubbornness of why I want this. And not only that, though, he can give us the wisdom, the wisdom in the name of Yeshua, of Jesus. If God gives you ten more years on this earth, at Christmas 2014, I can tell you who you will be by two things. You tell me the books you're going to read for the next ten years, and you tell me the people you're going to hang around, and I can give you a really good profile of who you will be as a person. And what we need is we need the godly counsel of the living Christ himself to tell us this is how to take this situation. And he's a counselor that wants to give this. And he identifies with us. You know, as Roger was talking about baptism, one of the mysteries is why did Jesus baptize? Because John's baptism was for repentance, remember? Repenting from sin. He didn't need to repent. He'd never sinned. In fact, John recognized, he didn't know him, but he said, this is the one. He said, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus said, let's do it to fulfill all righteousness. What's that mean? Well, first of all, he was baptized on behalf of everybody that never could. He lived his life for us. But second of all, he identified with sinners and he didn't need to. I heard a remarkable story of love and identity. A friend, when he was just out of college, got a job in this office and he didn't have two nickels to rub together. And the executives asked, invited him to a Christmas party. And one of the executives invited him, came by and picked him up from work on the way. And he had noticed he was just in some jeans and a, a T-shirt. And the other guy was dressed up. And he said, well, you know, you look pretty comfortable. He goes, yeah, my best T-shirt. You know, and he's going, you know, I think I'd like to go that way. And he was already dressed up. He drove 15 minutes to his house, changed the jeans and a T-shirt. So when they got to the office party and everybody else was black tie, he said, I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only, he was standing there right next to me in jeans, totally out of place, and I wasn't the other, quote, bozo in the room. That's identity. If Jesus were here right now, well, first of all, if Jesus were here right now, we'd probably change our afternoon schedules quite a bit, but do you know where he'd be? He'd be sitting with you out there. Remember, Judas has to kiss Jesus to point him out in the crowd, he so blends in. And then unless he was invited up, like at the synagogue of Capernaum, and when he teaches... He stands with us. He doesn't go, oh, you sinner. He stands with us and says, come on, we can do this. And because of that love, the wonderful counselor, and we have this power, there's someone to tell us. And the biggest wonder is, he wants us. When I was first ordained, I heard an Advent story of a woman sharing it that I will always remember. And I can't come to Advent without thinking about it. I was... um, I first started grade school in 1959, back as uh, the Jurassic period. And uh, I remember in 1959, 60s, little towns in eastern Colorado, for, you had to do hearing tests. 
And most of the time, do you remember the hearing test? They put things on your head, but the smaller towns, they didn't have those. And so the teacher would always do a whisper test. And one of my friends, remember, the guy was almost like totally deaf. And the teacher would always say something like, you know, Star Spangled Banner. He'd come up and she'd go, American flag, you know, and we'd go, what kind of a test is that? Uh, this lady, though, was shared. She had a terrible cleft palate. And before the days of the great surgeries they did, and the drooping lip and the garbled speech, and in grade school, the mean things kids could say, and she felt the pain of being different. She had a wonderful teacher named Mrs. Brown who wore this plastic cross, she said, and it stood out because it never went with anything. When the day came for the hearing test, she came up and every child would come up and she'd say, turn your ear and I'll close your right and give you the left and say something like, the sky is blue. And the child would say, sky is blue, great. And the next one, your shoes are brown. Your shoes are brown. When it was time for Mary to come up, and she was so embarrassed because she likewise had hard hearing because of the disorder that she had and she thought something else to be embarrassed about. And the teacher said, turn toward me. And then she whispered something that changed her life, she said. This teacher, and Mary had a very bad home situation. This teacher, the word she whispered was, I wish you were my little girl. She said at that moment, she knew that she was wanted. And wanted by this teacher that everybody liked. And because of that, it started a life of loving and helping others. Wonderful. There is wonder. Yes, there is war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we pray for our friends and relatives that are over there in their safety. Yes, there is a gap between the rich and the poor. Yes, there are diseases and there are pimps downtown selling people's bodies. And there is drug addiction. And this is a fallen world that Satan rules right now. But there is still beauty. Tremendous beauty and tremendous wonder. And the light shines in the darkness. And sitting and having a cup of coffee or some hot spice cider and smelling the needles or listening to great music and saying, thank you, God, for life, he appreciates. Rumors have it. He thinks, by the way, he wins in the end. Have you heard this? And also, counselor. God wants you to go out and he's got a plan for you or you'd be in his presence right now. He's got us on this world for a reason. And he's speaking. If you want to hear. But you've got to seek him with your whole heart. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I thank you that you loved us before we were ever lovable. And you sent your son into this world, Lord, as light in the darkness. God, and as you put on flesh in your son in that little manger, Lord, you came to take care of this bill we could never pay. And Lord, I thank you for the wonder that there still is in life and the beauty and the goodness And God, I pray that we would be agents of hope, Lord, and agents of love and of faith and of peace, Lord, in a world that is broken that you love. Thank you, Christ. You're not going to leave us alone. Someday you're going to come back and you're going to make everything right. Until then, Lord, may we be found faithful, counseling each other to stay close to you as we listen to your voice. And now, God, as we get ready to give to you our tithes and our offerings, we thank you for this great privilege of what you have given to us. Lord, I pray that you would bless those that can only give a little, sustain them in this tough time, show us how we may help. And God, those of us that can give a lot, bless it, multiply it for the furtherance of the kingdom of light. 
In the name of King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen.